0: Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Good morning, everyone. I've got my electronic devices here. Take that. Thank you, darling. That's my Lovely assistant. Speaking of assistants, thank you very much, your band. Loving the acoustic sound. You did a fantastic job. And uh, so you are welcome to go and have a seat. We replaced the whole drum kit with uh, one box that Rob's sitting on. It's fantastic. <clears throat> All right. It is a beautiful day. It's a great day to have a mask off up here. It's fantastic. Stupid masks. You know, uh, Omicron, what is it, 80-90% of people with Omicron have no symptoms, so we might have already all had it. It's good, isn't it? Keep the mask on anyway until we're officially allowed to do it. Hey, how will anyone, including you, know that you're a real Christian? How do you know you're a real Christian? How does anyone know you're a real Christian? Well. The answers are in the book of First John and that's what we're looking at today. And there was a guy called Martin Luther in the 1500s and in around uh, 15, 16, 17 there, he had this experience. He was a Catholic priest, a Catholic monk, sorry, in a monastery and uh, he was there for six years and all those six years he spent time feeling guilty Guilt ridden, he found himself in a cell asking for forgiveness, begging God for forgiveness. He felt so guilty for all the sin in his life. He couldn't get past his sins. His sins consumed him. He was so aware of his own faults and and flaws. And uh, he thought going in there he could fix that. Despite all his efforts, he could never be perfect. And he said, these are his own words, I was a good monk and, and kept the rules of the, my order so strictly that if I may say that if ever a monk could get to heaven by his monkery, it was me. If I had kept it on any longer, I would have killed myself with all the prayers, the vigils, the reading, the other work that I did. All the monks had made vows of chastity, so no sexual relations. They'd made vows of poverty, so don't own anything. Uh, They'd made vows of obedience, which means not just obeying God, but obeying their superior and doing whatever the superior said instantly. They had an interesting work, uh, interesting uh, life, not. Luther would spend up to six hours a day confessing his sins. He said, the longer I tried to heal my uncertain, weak, and troubled conscience with my own efforts, the more uncertain, weak, and troubled I continually made it. And every day he fought against his imperfections, his jealousies and comparisons with others, his judging of other monks, his lustful thoughts and dreams and desires, his selfish ambitions, his greed, his laziness, his pride. Even when I felt sorry for things, he said, I knew that I I wasn't sorry enough. So he'd have to confess that. His life was a mess. Was that all that his life was going to be from now on? One long guilt trip. Self-loathing until he died. It's a constant awareness of how disappointing he must be to God. Well just pause and think about this. Some Christians live a life that's not too different to that. So aware of our flaws, so aware of our sin, feeling guilt and shame for the past or for the present that they're they're racked with that. Their life, their spiritual life is enclosed like that in a cell. What sort of Example, are we like that to other people? Why would anyone want to become a Christian if that's what it looks like? Someone who doesn't enjoy life. Someone who spends their whole life feeling guilty and burdened down with shame. No joy. Where is the easy light yoke that Jesus promised that life would be? And then Luther was asked to teach... In a local university, a Bible teacher the New Testament, so he actually started reading the New Testament and he started to find scriptures like these ones in First 1 John about what a Christian actually looks like. Because the whole of the book of First John is this evidence of this is what a Christian is. And he found scriptures like this, and and uh, one Romans one seventeen was another one he found it. And the one Romans one seventeen says this: the good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from the start to the finish. So when you first become a Christian, right until the day you die, it's accomplished by faith. It's through faith that a righteous person has life. And so Luther suddenly realised that. It wasn't up to him that eternal life and peace and joy were not rewards for his own perfect life. But they were free gifts that were bestowed on him because of his trust in Jesus' perfect life. We'll never have a perfect life. I know Christians like this. They spend so much time. Oh, I've got to to pray more. Oh, I missed my prayer time yesterday. Oh. God is a, a father. He's not a machine, although some fathers can be machines at times, like machines. He's a loving father. He knows how we go up and down through life. Luther's life changed forever when he started to look not inwards, but at Jesus. The focus of his life changed. We're looking at the book of First John, which is all about anyone how anyone knows who is a real Christian. And today we're looking at chapter 2. And the first two verses of chapter 2 remind us of this freedom, that this breakthrough that Martin Luther found. Because they say this, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the Can't hold the bottom of the mic, just a little tip there. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins but the sins of the whole world. The whole world has been paid for. Are we going to take advantage of that? Jesus is not against us. He's not our accuser. He's our, as Melanie said last week, our defense attorney. He's pleading with the judge on our behalf. And not only that, he's a defense attorney who said, I'll take the punishment that he deserves myself, and I've paid it all for him. And so Martin Luther became a different person, set free from all the guilt that he knew he was holding in his life. Having all that lifted off, now he was free to live a life of gratitude a life of joy. It wasn't up to him. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to me to fix my life. It's all been paid for by somebody else. And we still have flaws. We, still have, we, we are not ever going to be 100% perfect. I mean, Jacqueline Jenkins gets pretty close, but she's about 99.2. Climbing. 0.3. Had a good week. We live a life. Of gratitude and Martin Luther went on to birth the Lutheran Church and uh, it was the first of many Protestant churches that moved away from uh, us having to whip ourselves whenever we do anything wrong to us looking to Jesus and saying I I blunt it again please forgive me because it says in the first chapter of uh, 1st John if anyone sins we confess our sins to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And not only that, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here in 1 John 2 verses 9 and 10, it says, If anyone claims I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. It's not, we're never going to be sinless. But one evidence here is that we love other people. And that, that, out of that gratitude, we find ourselves loving God, not fearing God. Yes, we have a, a, a reverence for Him. He's our maker, our creator. But we love Him because He's paid it all for us and we are able to, we're set free to love other people. Anyone who loves a fellow believer, verse 10, is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. And so we see the answer in this uh, first part of this message about how will people know that we're Christians? How will we know if we're Christians? Well, we'll know, and they'll know, because we're not guilt-ridden, shame-filled, self-absorbed, staring at our, our, what do you call that? Navel. I almost said anus. It would be very (laughs) difficult difficult to do that. It's just being live-streamed. Okay. Do we have a six-second delay? No, we don't. Go straight out there. Good morning, everybody. Naval. We're not those sort of people who are worried about how bad we have been in the last five minutes. We're continually looking to Jesus. We're free. We're not bound up. We have peace, not worry. We love others. We don't judge them. We speak speak hopefully and purely, not sarcastically and cynically. We're full of love, not hate. All right, the second one. 1 John 2 verse 15 to 16 says this, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These three things are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You know, the devil came to Jesus and tempted him with those three things. And they're the same three things the devil tempts us with. And they're the same three things the devil tempted Adam and Eve with. And they fell, and Jesus said, no. Again, Jesus is the answer. What are those three things? The, the first one is a, is pleasure, physical pleasure. Jesus was very hungry. It says after 40 days, he hungered. Hello. And the devil came and said, well, if you're hungry, why don't you just have, turn that into bread? And Jesus says, I'd rather, have, I'd rather be hungry than have anything that you tell me to have. I'd rather be hungry. Whereas Eve had, and Adam had said, well, yeah, I am. It says they desired it for food. The, the fruit that the devil said you can eat. Oh, that would taste good. Oh, wow, that's young. And that's the, the desire for physical pleasure. Does, it's the same temptation for us. That would feel really good that would taste beautiful. That would make my body just feel tingly. That uh, sexual relationship. And it's not just things that we do like that, it's also we have a craving for laziness. We have a tendency to not do things rather than do things. We have a a tendency to stand like this rather than stand like that, because it takes a bit of effort to do that. We have a tendency to sit and watch the screen rather than get out and do the gardening or to go for that run, or to go and visit someone who needs a visitor. But Jesus said, no, that craving for hunger is not as great as my craving to to be close to God. And we can always replace a better craving for a lesser craving. He hungered for God more than he hungered for food. And the second craving after pleasure is pride. The devil said, you know, if you eat that, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. That would be good. We'd be like God. We would be awesome. And this, this desire to, to be like God and to make our own choices, our own life has, has messed up the human race ever since and continues to today. The devil said, you know, you can, turn, you can cast yourself off this building and you're, you're going to land and you're going to be fine because you know who you are. If you're really the son of God, you could do that. And the devil was poking him in his pride. Are you really the son of God? Are you Are going to do that? Because, and we can, we can be tempted by pride as well. I want to prove who I am. I want to be great. I want to be successful. I want that big achievement. I want that big thing. And Jesus said, No, I'm not going to do that. Because the cravings for the things of this world didn't have him. And the third craving is a craving for possessions. The devil offered him every kingdom in the world. You can have Babylon. You can have the kingdom of, of East Asia. You can have all of Africa. You can have the kingdoms of beautiful kingdoms of Europe and, and America, right through all ages. I give them all to you. All those shiny, bright, sparkling things. All those gadgets and beautiful things that we crave. And those things that we want. Just if I had that thing. I know a guy at a church we went to in Sydney. He spent years and years of his life saving and battling and craving after a Ferrari. And then he got the Ferrari. And it was sitting in his garage. And it's one of the things that led him to Jesus. Because after a couple of days he thought, there's not much to that. It wasn't enough because possessions are never enough and Jesus knew that all these cravings are never enough and this verse says here do not love the world nor the things that offers you for when you love the world you do not love the father you don't have the love of the father in you and we are going to constantly battle with those three temptations and we find that as, as we love God with all our hearts and all our souls, that the power of those three cravings dissipates. and falls down. Cain wanted to, to kill his brother. He had a craving, a physical craving, a power craving to, to kill his brother Abel. And God said to him, in Genesis, way right back in Genesis," he says, "Sin is crouching at your door, but you must control it." And those three cravings are controlled by our love. For God the world only offers a craving for physical, physical pleasure for everything we see and for for pride in our achievements and possessions these are not from the father okay so the second thing that shows the world and ourselves that we are a Christian is when the craving for those things dissipates and we feel, we find that it's easier and easier to say no I don't need that to be happy. I don't need to be the boss to be happy. I don't need to be the first to be happy. I don't need everyone's respect and and constant adulation to be happy. I don't crave after that anymore, but I hunger after him. And once we catch a glimpse of heaven, have you ever had a glimpse of heaven? You can ask God for a glimpse of heaven. In fact, when you pray, thy kingdom come, when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, Bring your kingdom to me, Lord. Let me see how beautiful it is that I can bring your kingdom to the earth, that I have my imagination filled with your kingdom and ask for a glimpse of it. Because once you've tasted a a beautiful thing, no one can tell you that it's not beautiful. You've got that taste. I know in our men's group, one of the guys, William, ordered a a banana smoothie the other day, and it came to the table, table in a beautiful glass, but it was luminous yellow. And it did not have a skerrick of banana in it. It was a fake man-made banana smoothie. And it did not taste like a banana smoothie. But when you've tasted the real thing, you know when anything is second, second rate. When we taste the life of God, nothing else compares. Nothing else has that flavor. And people will see in us, that's interesting, that person doesn't seem to have the same craving for the things of this world okay so so far we are people uh, who are happy people and full of gratitude people we're not guilt-ridden people and we also are free from cravings and the third thing here 1 John 2 verse 18 Dear children, the last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know the last hour has come. And in this chapter, uh, the Apostle John defines the Antichrist spirit as any spirit that uh, rejects the truth about Jesus. And it may be that there'll be some person down the track in the future who, who embodies this 100%. But... There's lots of spirits of antichrist. You know, whenever you're in your workplace and you mention you're a Christian and someone mocks you, that's a spirit of antichrist. Whenever someone says, oh, Jesus uh, didn't die on the cross like they said, that's a spirit of antichrist. Jesus was not God, that's a spirit of antichrist. There's even people trying their hardest to, to convince everybody that Jesus never even existed despite there being more evidence for him than there is for Julius Caesar. Our task, oh, 1 John two 26, 27 I'm writing these things to warn you about those who do want to lead you astray. People who want to dilute the message of Christ. But you've received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true, it's not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. The Holy Spirit is our secret weapon. When people say things to us the Holy that are anti-Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit within us, uh, alerts us that's not true that's not the Jesus that you follow and the Holy Spirit brings that truth to us he alerts us to the truth and we can be uh, challenged in life by people who want to water down Christianity and say a bunch of bigots because they want to in the, the spirit of Antichrist wants to intimidate us so we don't join in that discussion at work or at university, because we don't—we're we're worried about the we're, we're intimidated by that spirit that says, "Oh, you can't talk. You're a Christian, and Christians are really bad." Actually, I want to read a new book by John Dixon, which is all about an honest look at the history of Christianity—the good and the bad since Christ. Because a lot of people say uh, that Christianity is one of the worst things that's happened to the planet. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Christianity is the best thing that's happened to the planet. I know a Christian man uh, spoke to me once about how he was being harassed by some drunk guys when he came out of church late at night one night. And these are all drunk guys uh, wandering around and, uh, in the city in Sydney and they were mocking him for coming out of church and, and he, he thought, oh, I'll take you guys on. He said, "Ah, oh, it's just a big joke, isn't it? he said, ah, oh, yeah, it's all rubbish that Christianity is just a big joke. He said, oh, well, there's no power in that church, is there? It's just a, it's just a tradition of man. He said, yeah, there's nothing to it. It means nothing. And he says, well, you know, if, it's, if it means nothing, then it doesn't really matter uh, what, what you say about Christianity. It, it has no power to it. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, just try this then. Try saying these three words. See if you can say them. Jesus is Lord. And these drunk guys stopped, looked at each other and, what's he saying? Yeah, just go ahead. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any power. So just say, Jesus is Lord. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. In fact, it kind of sobered them up and they walked away. Because Jesus is Lord is the central truth, not just of our faith, but of the entire universe. It's the last thing the devil wants anyone to say. And sometimes I'll wake up from a nightmare or in a situation of stress during the day, I'll I'll just blurt out, Jesus is Lord. It's like the Holy Spirit is reminding me, this is okay, the situation's fine. Jesus is Lord. And get through this. I encourage you to do that as well. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. How do we become like Jesus? By looking at Him, by thinking about Him, by focusing on Him as the lord how will people know including how will you know if you're a real christian there's three evidences just from this chapter of john 1 john we are people who are filled with gratitude peace and joy we don't crave the temporary things of this temporary world and when they look at us they see that we're changing over time we change we become more like jesus thanks for listening We hope to see you in church again this weekend. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au